Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, as always, in a new year, Christian Schiller. Um, I am one of these people that doesn't necessarily massively believe in New Year's, those arbitrary numbers when we just change over, but Happy New Year. Let's hope this year is different. Um, I'm back with still a round of interviews I did last year. Uh, this year, this this episode, sorry, is the turn of Amit Goal from Nvidia Jetson. We talk about their uh, mostly their prototype units for uh, developing, prototyping, testing AI and machine learning um, optimized applications, especially when you're building uh, applications that need to run on the edge of computing networks and on communications networks. So we talk a lot about their their boards, their SDK, their developer uh, options they have. Um, but first, as always, here are my links of the week. So a couple of these probably date back to last year, <laughs> but that wasn't that long ago. It was only last week. Uh, and I have quite an interesting mix here. I'm going to start with, um, I'm actually going to start with a non-tech story, something very, very English. And if anyone is watching the video, you can actually see this from the the title. This is by Charlotte Higgins on The Guardian, actually from the nearly a month ago. Sorry, I've just noticed the date there, but it, it's somewhat timeless. A peculiarly English epic, The Weird Genius of the Archers. Um, the Archers, if you don't know, and you may not, <laughs> and that's fine, is a very long-running soap opera. It's probably the oldest soap opera in the world on uh, British radio, on the BBC. Um ostensibly, apparently, about a farming community, kind of nowhere. Uh, but like most soap operas, it ends up being about all sorts of things. And it's strangely addictive. I got addicted to it. Oh, I don't know. It's probably my, my, my one guilty pleasure. I think I got addicted to it maybe 15 years or so ago. And then I got my wife addicted to it as well. <laughs> and most of the time it's so boring, which is kind of the fun. But every now and then there's a... Uh, strange story that that sort of sparks interest and i think they are now celebrating yes um when the article was published 70 years birthday and uh, one of the actresses uh, june spencer has been in it since the first episode and she is 101 <laughs> and she's still acting in it um and they've had some quite interesting stories over the past few years, including the fairly well-known one now that made sort of more widespread media attention um, involving a kind of a controlling partner, abusive partner. It was actually now, I think, nearly five years ago, I think. Um, and recently they have been handling a modern slavery case, which is kind of interesting. But obviously the one of the strange things they've had to do this year is figure out what they were going to do about the whole COVID situation. And initially they started with these sort of um, uh, monologues from each actor and I think they got a bit boring after a while. And they've, the, the interesting thing why uh, they had to figure out what to do is the UK up until I think yesterday basically had this tiering system per region but then the Archers has always existed in this kind of non-existent place. <laughs> so it was like... Where are they? <laughs> what kind of conditions will they be living in? And I think the producers of the show realized that actually people wanted a bit of escapism. And it's, it's mentioned, but it, it, it always sort of feels like the problem is in the distance, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, and this whole article kind of digs into this, um, 
this feeling of this nowhereness, this sort of almost timelessness, even though there's often mentions of certain technologies and things like that, it still feels a little bit out of date. And there's these token mentions of farming and things like that. So they had to mention Brexit because it's very relevant to farming. But again, it's only loosely mentioned. But anyway, if this seems interesting to you, and there's some great photos here from some of the older um, productions of it, and um, how they've also produced the show in the past year, I guess, as well, is interesting. Um, and there's some wonderful communities about it. It also talks about some of the uh, community groups here like falling out with each other over disagreements about the show and all these sorts of things. And as you can see, as I'm scrolling through, it's quite a long read. There's a more modern photo. It doesn't look quite as glamorous as, uh, <laughs> as the old photos, does it? They don't wear suits anymore when they record. Um, and here's one of the studio shots again. See, it's all very, very, it looks very amateur, very BBC in some ways. But it's quite a fascinating read, even if you've never listened to the show and have no intention of listening to the show. Now, I'll get into the tech stuff now, I promise. So this was an article by Joseph Vass on the Discord um, medium, curiously. Um, Discord, like many, many platforms that offer communication options, obviously has had a very busy year. Discord had uh, voice chat for some time. Um, and they've had video chat, I think, since about last May. And this article goes into some technical details about how they're handling that. And I must admit, I have found it to be a little unstable at times, but mostly the application crashes a lot. Um, but interestingly, the more you read into this article, you see how, how and why this might be happening, kind of interestingly. But if you're... And it is a predominantly a cross-platform application, um, one of my favorites, <laughs> Electron-based, but they actually talk about some of the kind of more native bindings they do, especially around the audio and video to keep that performance. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice, reasonably in-depth. There's even some code here, which considering it's a proprietary application, is well, there's not much code, so don't get too excited. Um, but how they're leveraging WebRTC, which has really caused this explosion in, um, in audio and video applications over the past few years anyway, uh, basically makes them all pretty much the same in some respects. Um, and how they handle it. So if you're interested to know how a very, very busy platform handles handles that and, and the kind of scale you may need to, to have yourself, then uh, have a read. Another pretty technical post here. I have been following the whole kind of M1 chip development, Apple's M1 chip development the past month or so. I was nearly tempted to get a, an M1-based Mac Mini for experimentation purposes we had a VAT reduction here in Germany that expired at the end of last year. And I was considering trying to save 3% before that did, but it, I don't know. <laughs> it didn't really seem worth it in the end. And this is actually an article from late November last year. Um, but it's just been, I think because I've been reading so many M1 articles, it popped up in my feed. And it's actually a really interesting um, article. And I think he has a couple of posts in the series that you can read on from here. This is Eric uh, Enkheim on the Debugger uh, blog talking about, obviously, he didn't build it. He's not part of the Apple design team. So some of this is conjecture and assumptions. But um, at, a, at a more slightly technical level, but you don't have to understand processor design to read it, of what makes them so fast, what makes it fast, um, which is quite interesting. I found it really interesting to dig into. He compares it to other architectures and, and why, I suppose, there's that controversial aspect, especially with uh, the M1 chip around um, the, the, the lower memory 
use it needs. And so these machines are shipping with a lot less memory and why that is okay kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, I found it a very interesting article that helped me at a high level without having to have a degree in hardware engineering understand kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And finally, maybe I really should have had that Archer's post as my, uh, and finally, <laughs> did we think about the ordering here? But this is another slightly older post. Um, I'm not sure why it showed up on my feed. Um, I guess I look into historical stuff a lot. This is from Fiona Cameron Lister. Uh, why the Romans don't want to know about the Etruscans. So, you know, pretty contemporary news here. Um, and whilst the post is interesting, if you've never really heard of the Etruscans and how they relate to the Romans, then a uh, very quick summary. They were basically the people in that region first that the Romans kind of overtook. It's, it's a nice potted history of their accomplishments and how their society operated and how their society was actually quite uh, progressive for the time and how the Romans just kind of trampled over them. I would argue that the article kind of seems to write like um, no one's ever heard of the Etruscans. Uh, this history is, I mean, actually, I've seen it in plenty of museums. I would argue that uh, it's, it is fairly widely known. That's probably my only reservation with the article. But that aside, it's quite interesting. And um, there's some nice photos here, as you can see on the video sheet. I do, on the video feed, I do like this uh, electric pink nail polish with, a Rome, with an Etruscan coin in the background. That's quite a nice photo. <laughs> that alone should be worth watching the video just to see what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, if you're not familiar with that history, then uh, take a look. That was my links for the week. And now my interview with Amit Goal of NVIDIA Jetson. Now, I was still using um, an older tool for recording the videos at this point. I think this might be the last one. And it would frequently drop out. We saw the same with the Algolia video I had um, for the last episode. The audio keeps going, but the video does disconnect and drop out occasionally, but not too much. So hopefully that does not uh, disrupt your enjoyment too much. Enjoy. Hey, so I'm Amit Goyal, Director of Product Management uh, for Autonomous Machines at NVIDIA. And I also uh, work a, a little bit on the robotics business development. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like NVIDIA is known for a lot of different things, and that sounds like a fairly large job title. So what specifically comes under that portfolio? Right. So uh, when we talk about autonomous machines, um, uh, we are focusing on uh, software-defined autonomous systems, okay. and uh, you know, and that includes uh, robotics, things like smart cities applications, uh, smart healthcare applications. Uh, we're seeing a lot of adoption, smart retail uh, use cases. So anything where you are looking at deploying AI and accelerated computing on the edge. Uh, that's what we think about as smart and autonomous systems. Okay. Um, that and we do have another business unit that covers the automotive piece of it. So anything that is not automotive is uh, what my team is responsible for. Okay, I think I do remember at I don't know Moa Congress or IFA or I'm not sure seeing a Nvidia box in a car at mm. one point <laughs> that's right yes yeah i mean we recently announced a very big partnership uh, on the automotive side in mercedes-benz and they will mm. have the nvidia hardware and uh, you know and and the software in all of their cars uh starting in 2024 i believe so okay. uh, yeah. that's right 
Wow. And I mean, what are some specific products that people might know? And, and are these kind of consumer, uh, business, or both? Yeah. So uh, I'm responsible for our Jetson products, okay. and uh, so there are there's a wide variety of Jetson products that are available in the market today. Um, the latest one that we just announced that we were excited about is the Jetson Nano 2GB, mm-hmm. uh, which is priced at at $59. Okay. So really affordable, uh, accessible AI computer uh, that can be used for you know kids, whether you're in high school or whether you're a researcher. Uh, we, we have literally opened the floodgates here in terms of who can adopt and learn AI, uh, right? So that's the starting point, um, and it goes all the way. We have uh, four different categories of products. We have the, as I said, the Nano and the Nano 2G. We have the TX2 and the TX1 products that have been shipping for over close to four years now. And then we have uh, the Xavier, which is you know what uh, what powers some of these fully autonomous robots and. Uh, or delivery uh, equipment that's uh, going completely autonomously on the sidewalks. So, so we have a complete portfolio of products starting from you know entry level uh, to mainstream and the higher end. Um, and and we we have the, you know our developer kit, which is something that's used by individuals and mm-hmm. engineers and who wants to learn or researchers who want to explore the world of accelerated computing. It's a full computer, right? So you can buy the developer kit. It comes with a full Linux-based operating system, all the software tools that you need to build a computer vision and AI application. And then we also provide a a system and module, uh, which is designed for production. So anybody who wants to build a drone, who wants to build a smart camera, who wants to build a smart recorder, they buy the, the, the module, design their own enclosure, and connect their sensors that they want, and off they go. So let's just go back a couple of steps here. I have actually interviewed some other uh, developer module creators before. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever really, in any of those interviews, established like why. Why would I need this versus, say, just emulating it, for example? Like, what's the benefits I get from having the actual hardware? And I mean, it's not that expensive, so <laughs> it's not so much to yeah. lose. But but why would why would I need it over just emulating it or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question, and you know uh, that that was the question we we had to think about when we were designing this. Well, why can't somebody run it on a cloud, right, mm-hmm. uh, and learn the same thing? Uh, the big difference is, you know, this is AI for uh, controlling. This is there's a when we're talking about the applications here, they're not just a software application running somewhere. It's a complete closed loop of sensing and then perceiving what that sensor is seeing mm-hmm. and understanding it and then controlling based on that. And then again, resense and perceive and act, right? So when you are building those kind of use cases, uh, an emulator cannot do that because suppose you want to bake a simple thing, like you know, I want to chase away a cat in my lawn every time it comes in by turning on my sprinkler. Uh, you can't do that with an emulator uh, yeah, okay, because yeah. the performance will not be there. The cat will be long gone before your emulator has been able to, to make a decision. So, so that's that's the important thing. Um, and you know, and the other other important thing is also 
lot of these things have people want to deploy it on mobile system like mm-hmm. battery powered and whatnot. So having that edge hardware where you can actually deploy your ideas and actually see them working because in the world of AI and, and a lot of these things, performance is equal into functionality, right? So with an emulator, you may be able to get the functional part of it, but not the performance. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and these applications performance is equivalent to functionality. So that's important. Then it becomes important to have the actual hardware that can deliver that for you. Okay. I'd like to ask one other clarifying question, because again, it's something that people have mentioned a lot on my interviews without us ever really digging into the detail. Um, when you talk about on the edge, what does that mean these days? It's something that a lot of people say, and I think it's used in a mixture of different meanings <laughs> sometimes. Yes. Uh, what does it mean in, in your context? I think your context is actually the most accurate one, but what does it mean? Yeah, um, edge is actually a continuum, uh, you know, the way we think about it. Uh, so, and it starts from, you know, what is happening on the device itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and say you have uh, your uh, smart home device or your, or your Echo or a Google Home. Today, there is a very little processing that happens on the device itself to detect whether you're activating it. The entire sentence that you want it to process actually gets sent to the cloud, right? For, for, uh, for speech to, uh, text, yeah, for speech to text translation and text to NLP and NLP to query. All of that happens in the cloud, right? So when we talk about edge and specifically Jetson, we are thinking about what is happening on the compute that's connected straight to the sensor. Okay, that's yeah. connected right away to the control. You, you know, the, then there's a next, next level of edge where you, you can have a convenience store where you have all these 10 CCTV cameras, which are all dumb, right? So there's no real edge computing happening there. They're just capturing the data, sending yeah. it. Yeah. But then you can have a small, you know, a little uh, box or, or AI IoT gateway kind of system that is taking all the data from the smart, uh, you know, sort of dumb sensors and processing it and then sending it to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other, with 5G coming in, there's this whole notion of mobile edge computing where, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, these base stations itself would have a computing element, a server right next to it. And so you don't really need to send everything to the end cloud. You can process it at the local base station and get back the results. Okay. So it's a continuum, uh, you know, and, and that's where NVIDIA's uh, solutions are so important and uh, uh, widely accepted because we have products that span this entire continuum of mm-hmm. uh, computing uh, from the on-device to the near edge to the, you know, base station to the far edge. Okay. And then you mentioned, so we have this developer kit, but you also mentioned the modules that people can buy um, to actually put in a, a real device, I guess. That's um, right. Which is probably very different use cases. One, you're probably ordering a handful for testing. Right. And one, you're probably ordering hundreds of thousands. You know? <laughs> exactly. But exactly. What, what, is the, what are the differences and similarities between those? Yeah, so, uh, you know, when we were building this product, uh, our biggest goal was that the time that it takes the developer to build an end product is to minimize. That was that was our goal. How can we do that? And uh, to make that happen, what we've done is uh, the module that comes in the developer kit uh, is pretty much identical from a functional perspective 
compared to the module that you would put in your end box. Hmm. What that enables people to do is to do all of the software development on this uh, on the developer kit. Mm -hmm. And once they build the end product, they really need to not change anything in their end application software. Okay. So the software, it, it, you just have to design your box. You just have to bring out the IOs and the software would just transfer seamlessly into your end product. So, so that sense, you know, we've kept the, the, the form factor is similar. The, the functionality is similar and um, and the entire software stack the most important part is exactly same when you with, no matter where you're running it this the diff things where things are different is of course this is a developer kit so it's not qualified or tested for you know the extended yep. lifetime that you yep. would need for an embedded product um, the same is true for life cycle you cannot come and say, oh, hey, NVIDIA, I need 10,000 developer kits. We're just not, it's designed for selling one-to-one yeah, -one yeah, 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 for an yeah. end developer. So that is not possible. So our, our you know, manufacturing and operations are not set up to take that kind of an orders. So this is, yeah, and, and, and yeah, all the reliability aspects of it, you know, thermal aspects of it are very different, but functionally, software-wise, all identical. Okay. So we've spoken a lot in kind of broad strokes, but so what, what actually, is Jetson? What what can it quote unquote do? <laughs> so, so Jetson is a complete computer, right? Okay. It's uh, you know, uh, as we like to call it, it's a supercomputer in a in, in an embedded form factor. Okay. Now it's got trillions of flops of operation uh, compute capability. It has an inbuilt CPU, ARM-based CPU. Mm -hmm. It has an image signal processor for connecting a different kind of uh, uh, cameras and other image inputs. And there are six to seven different processors uh, that are embedded into the single SOC. And what it can do is uh, essentially, as I mentioned, you know, it can, it can make any of your systems autonomous. If you've seen any of the delivery robots out there right now, you know, making autonomous deliveries, walking on the sidewalk, uh, perceiving the environment, mapping it, localizing it, navigating it all of that is happening on the jetson as a single compute element okay so so it can process it can take it can take a lot of uh, sensor data really high bandwidth real-time sensor data process it run a lot of ai models right object detection models segmentation models speech processing models run all of that on the device mm -hmm and then run it in real time. And then based on that, control the particular system that you're driving. Okay, yeah. And is, is Jetson in any of your other products or is it just a standalone product for others? Yeah, so, so Jetson is based off our SOC architectures, uh, which, is, which gets leveraged in also our automotive uh, products as well. So we leverage the same architecture, um, but of course there are slight nuances uh, in the one that we have in Jetson versus what is a way, what is used in automotive uh, for things like safety and uh, you know uh, there are lots of other functionalities that you would need for an automotive system, which is not available uh, on the Jetson, but uh, they, they they use the same underlying architecture and our SOCs for that. Okay, and I was sent um, some information about a school in. Japan in Hiroshima that used um, a variety of services, including Jetson 
Jetson platform to do distance learning in the past couple of months. It's very, it's very mm-hmm. strange yeah. images, these huge empty classrooms with all these screens in here. Um, yeah. Which unfortunately then took me to a link in Japanese, so <laughs> so I didn't get very far there. But but so what are some of the common use cases that people are experimenting with and creating at the moment? Yeah, at the moment, I think you know one of the big areas where we're seeing um, Jetson being used is again because of the co- because of COVID, mm. you know the compliance and healthcare aspects of it, touchless experiences mm. have become very important, right? When you're going to a store, you want to check out without having to touch the screen, without having to, you know, interact with the person. So lots of stores are now putting cameras and, you know, they can scan what's in your shelf, what's what's in your tray, what's in your cart, and bill you automatically, right? Uh, The second thing is, uh, you know, checking for elevated body temperature. It Mm -hmm. may seem like an easy thing, but it's extremely hard to get it right, given, and especially given the small tolerance within which you have to be accurate. Uh, so detecting, you know, a thermal camera, within a thermal camera, if you're holding a coffee cup, you don't want to get the temperature of that and say, well, <laughs> this guy is out of body temperature. You need to get him out, right? So so you need, you know, just a thermal camera is not enough. You need to yeah. understand the semantics of the world around you, yeah. right? So heavily, and, and this was something that was not, you know, people had not solved before, right? It requires new kind of AI and has to be done with AI because, you know, the, the number of situations that you have to detect this is so different. You cannot write a hand-coded algorithm for it. So, so Jetson is being used widely uh, for opening up places, of, uh, you know, making sure that uh, people are being following the protocol. They're wearing masks. They're all, you know, uh, maintaining social distance. They're, they do not have elevated body temperature. Uh, even in hospitals where, you know, the staff is so, there's so much shortage of staff, you want to make sure that, you know, uh, the basic things of, that a nurse needs to do can be done automatically. If somebody needs help, they can ask, what is it? If you need blanket or something, they can have somebody deliver it, not having to go. So, so lots of application there. And the second one is robotics and automation, mm-hmm. right? Another area where uh, huge adoption is taking place again, because now people cannot go into work, right? So you need to make, figure out ways that you can automate your system, whether it's delivery, whether it's, you know, you, I don't know if you saw, uh, FedEx was recently doing uh, automatic sorting of packages. Um, one of our big uh, customers, Six River Systems, uh, which was acquired by Shopify, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have autonomous carts that are running from, you know, miles and miles in a day autonomously and uh, helping fulfill all these e-commerce orders that are coming in. Uh, so, so warehouse automation is another uh, big area. And third one that is related to the you know healthcare is the smart cities, right? Where uh, we are seeing a lot of adoption for identifying uh, traffic, uh, understanding traffic situations, predicting, you know, pre- preventing accidents, optimizing mm-hmm. things for that. So how old is the platform then? Uh, is it just this year or? Oh, no. So the first Jetson was launched actually in 2015. Okay. So okay. Um, it's been five years and, you know, uh, we've been, con- we continue to build out the platform and uh, our portfolio. And uh, yeah, Jetson has been there. And uh, the, the one of the important things uh, about what we're doing with Jetson is we, because of our architecture being same across all NVIDIA products, 
we are able to bring in billions of dollars of software investment that is made for you know the supercomputers that you see in the biggest research labs. We are able to bring the same software down to a $59 computer. That's 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 the beauty. It's and we've been doing and we do this, uh, we really think these are software defined systems. So we keep upgrading them, right? Mm-hmm. So if you had bought a Jetson in 2016, you can download a software that we released, you know, a few months back and run on it. And you would get better performance, more functionality, and more stability, right? Okay. So we are investing heavily on the software because that's that's where the uh, key functionality is. So let's talk a little bit about the device itself, the Nano 2 gigabyte. Um, so at the heart of it, I guess, are the, is the GPU and the CPU. Um, they are two different chips, I take it, or they're the same? No, so or? these are what we call system and chips. Okay. So these are different uh, hardware IPs that are integrated on a single silicon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have been in the news a lot the past couple of days. <laughs> yes. Um, and um, you mentioned Linux. Is, is it a particular variation of Linux, a particular distribution? Yeah, so we provide uh, Ubuntu-based uh, Linux operating system, reference file system. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the important thing with Jetson, uh, before Nano was we, uh, 2GB and Nano 4GB, uh, we, we provide a complete Linux operating system. Mm-hmm. So if you're a developer who's used to using uh, Linux on your computer, if you move to the Jetson products, you would see exactly the same experience. Okay. Uh, on, on the Jetson Nano 2GB, we went with a slightly different uh, version of the desktop manager. So we are using LXDE. Uh, because that is better. I'm suited. surprised there's even a desktop manager. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're a graphics company. We like to see things. <laughs> well, I don't think LXC really um, highlights the graphic capabilities, but sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, we, we, so, so on the Nano 2 GB, you get LXDE, but for all other Jetson Nano products, you have a full, full, full-on uh, desktop uh, manager and a full operating system. And uh, what can people um, program in? Is it Anything, or is it specifically probably Python and yeah. So, along with along with the Jetson Nano two GB, we also actually uh, launched a curriculum which is completely open uh, source, and anybody can sign up and go through that curriculum to get started on AI. And a lot of that content that we have developed is actually using Jupyter notebooks and Python. Okay. Perfect. So uh, again, something that we learned uh, over the years to working with educators and, you know, trainers and mentors that the Python interface and the Jupyter notebooks uh, are really neat for people to get started and learn things, you know, in one place, you see your code, your comments, your results, everything is very seamless. Mm -hmm. So we have created a lot of content. And, And to add to that, we have a really big community which is doing a lot of work with Jetson. So we have over 700,000 developers that are registered uh, as, you know, uh, within F- for Jetson Affinity. And we have a Jetson projects page where we identify some of these projects and list them. So all these developers provide complete source code, complete instructions for running these projects. And I highly recommend you to take a look at it. You can yeah. find the, anything there from, you know, a child playing with this TV based on gestures to somebody doing, a, you know, feeding out crops in a farm to, you know, racing cars on a, on a track. Yeah. So just, just, just a lot of 
with content, with complete source code. Um, uh, and, and yeah, you can program in any language you want. There is okay. no restriction. You can run in C++, you can program in Python, you know, all, every, all of that is supported. And actually, also on that post about the schools, there was this cool example of the, doing handwriting recognition so yeah. the students can kind of get notes automatically, which is something right. I love. Handwriting recognition has been around for some time. It's only just started getting good. I don't know yeah. if you've even, on a completely different angle, if you tried the new Scribble in iPad OS 14 or whatever it is, uh-huh. and it's like... That just came out of nowhere, and it works really, really well. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing and, new, and, but it's taken time for it to actually be good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think the that, that's the power of deep learning and AI, right? Just, just there's so much data um, now available, and and these models are getting so be- so much better. I mean, even on language language processing right now. Yeah. Models are getting superhuman level accuracy for uh, speech to text translation, right? Mm, so, mm, mm. Uh, very, very interesting times. I wish I could find something that transcribed interviews better, but that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, <laughs> this is, um, so else we have uh, two gigabytes of memory. I mean, actually, yes, the thought of uh, doing hard, hardcore image processing with two gigabytes of memory seems kind of crazy to me but um i guess yeah uh, the other thing that helps uh, us is you know the fact that we have a shared memory architecture right so you don't need a dedicated gpu memory and a dedicated cpu memory uh, you don't need to keep moving the data around between the host and the, and, uh, and the, you know on the gpu so so that's why what we also did when we launched 2GB, again, to validate that this is going to be useful uh, and people can run their applications, we asked uh, about 10, 10 or 15 top developers who had done some cool projects to say, hey, you know, we're coming out with this. Can you try and see if your projects run on it? And, mm-hmm. and they were able, all able to run it. So okay. out of the box, there are about 10 of the community projects that we have highlighted that can just run out of the box with the Nano 2GB. Okay. And of course, uh, you know, Another another very very good project that has got community attention is a Jetbot. It's basically a DIY a robot car, a small robot car that you can 3D print and buy the parts and build it yourself. And uh, and you know it can follow you. It can autonomously drive without running into obstacles. And we have uh, it's a complete uh, you know experience that we have created where you can just build the car, collect your own data in your own house. Train it on the Jetson. No other product can do that. You can train it on the computer, the small computer itself, and then deploy it and see how the car is doing and keep adding data and retraining it. And uh, so, so that's that's been a lot of fun and you know a lot of adoption in the community to to build that out and uh, use it for all kind of fun things. Okay. And also, yeah, I can see you can do up you can do um, 4K video, which is. Yeah kind of impressive although but my phone also can so i guess it's becoming easier and easier to do that um, yeah. and then a bunch of other uh, connectors which i guess connect up with a lot of other sensors yeah that um, yeah one of the key things we have, yeah we, we we have one of the key things we've done is we've kept a 40 pin uh, connector that is very yeah. that was introduced with raspberry pi yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. such a big ecosystem of peripherals that support that so our, we have worked with Adafruit to add their Blinka library. We have worked with SparkFun to add support for their uh, quick 
a library, uh, all the quick accessories, and also working with the Seed Studio to make sure that all of their growth peripherals just work out of the box. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so people can actually use a lot of different peripherals that are already out there in the market uh, with the Dipto Nano. Mm -hmm. And so the Nano is, is quite new, I guess. Is that the, the newest one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had launched the first Ditson Nano was Ditson Nano 4GB that we had launched uh, you know, about last year uh, during our GTC uh, 2019, mm -hmm. um, Spring GTC. And uh, we, we saw that it completely transformed uh, our developer community. Uh, the number of developers who are now working with AI uh, increased significantly with the, uh, with the coming of Nano. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was very clear to us that there is a lot of appetite for this. There's a lot of desire for solutions. And, you know, the price point has been a limiting thing. So the, coming up with a, you know, $59 Nano 2GB required a lot of innovation yeah. on our part. Uh, you, if you look at just the, just the, functionality and the capability of that product at that price point required a lot of innovation, but, uh, but it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something that we're doing to enable and democratize AI. Yeah. And I can see as certainly as you scroll up the, the page or down the page, you can see mm -hmm. the, the product range gets kind of bigger and bigger <laughs> right. and, the, and the, the range of places you can buy it gets less and less. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. So that's what I said, you know, getting, getting nano in the hands of every developer is required. Uh, it was, a, it was uh, a big undertaking from the product side, from the operation side, mm -hmm. from every, every aspect of uh, building a product required innovation partners, ecosystem, all of that had to be updated. And are these available globally or just in yes. some locations? Uh, you can you can buy it pretty much everywhere in the world. Of course, there are some regions where we have been that's not available. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I would say yeah, 95% of the world, uh, you can get it. Cool. And, I mean, this is quite new, but what's, what's next? What's next on the roadmap for Jetson or for your team? Well, uh, AI is continuing to, you know, evolve. Right, it's 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 very early days of AI, and one of the things that is going to happen is uh, th these models and uh, frameworks will continue to change. So we are uh, we're going to of course keep adding more horsepower, bringing more capabilities, uh, and secondly, uh, on the software side, we are investing a lot in providing more things that you can do with the software stack. Right uh, today, yeah, it's all simple computer vision type applications. But, you know, in the future, you would want to do reinforcement learning applications. You want to do, uh, you know, speech processing. You want to do uh, speech and video and gesture and all of that. So, so we are trying to bring in more and more software libraries that will make, uh, make it easy for you to develop these applications, deploy these applications. And at the same time, pushing uh, the limits on the compute, what is possible, that form factor, that power, to so we can continue to push that forward as well. And that was my interview with Amit Gol from NVIDIA Jetson. So let's have a look. Any updates from me? There's probably not going to be a massive amount for being the time of the year it is. Um, I... I'm just looking. I don't think I have a massive amount to update you on, really. Um, 
There will be a new episode of uh, Board Game Jerk coming out very soon. Um, I did a Dexpose session with Google's uh, Fuchsia uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, there will be an episode of The Solo Adventurer when I'm actually going to try playing uh, AI Dungeon this coming Friday, um, which could be interesting. And the future hands-on was interesting. I ended up having to make two videos, and you can go watch that to see why. Um, what else? Uh, I think that's basically it for now. Um, I do have a couple of games. I am in the playtest stage, so they will be available quite soon. And if you want to playtest either a roll and write game or a scenario for Call of Cthulhu, then get in touch, and I'm happy to have you on board there. Um, I will be switching out my newsletter to MailChimp very soon. And actually, I will have a few other things to promote quite soon. But it's that time of the year when I think we're, there's not much point promoting too much because, uh, you know, it's, it's still a quiet time of the year. So as always, you can find more about me at christianchiller.com uh, and you can see all my contact links up there. Just get in touch. I'd love to hear your feedback. And um, until next week, thank you very much for joining me. <laughs>